0: Thank you, Sarah, for that ministry in music. You turn with me your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, please. One of the ways in which Christian organizations have been justly criticized is in the manner in which they use their finances. That criticism ranges everything from a lack of transparency to misuse of funds and outright fraud. Unfortunately, for some reason, Christian organizations in the past have Taken the approach that they have a responsibility to God and to God alone. That they have obscured their finances under the guise that they're accountable to God. Well, certainly we are accountable to God for all things, and the church is accountable to God for their finances, but the church is not solely responsible to God. For the use of their finances. In 2nd Corinthians 8.21. Paul writes. For we have regard for what is honorable. Not only in the sight of the Lord. But also. In the sight of men. In the passage that's before us. We find a fine example. Of how. Christian finances. Are to be administered. By. A church. How a church is to conduct its financial matters in a manner that is both acceptable to God and acceptable to man. Verses 20 and 21 are the key verses to this particular section. 2 Corinthians 8.20 Taking precaution that no one should discredit us in our administration of this generous gift. For we have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. Paul speaks of taking precautions in handling the collection that was taken for the poor saints in Jerusalem. There were a lot of monies that were being entrusted to the Apostle Paul and to those who were traveling with him. For the poor saints that were at Jerusalem. And he was taking precautions that they would not be criticized in any way for the manner in which those funds were being overseen. As we think about this passage, there are two particular questions that I want to answer. First is what kind of precautions? need to be taken so that the church is blameless in God's sight and man's sight in the way in which it conducts its financial matters. So what kind of precautions does a church need to take in order that they will be blameless in God's sight and in man's sight in the way it conducts its financial matters? And then the second question is, why is that important? Why should we care? Why must a church make preparations so that it will be blameless in God's sight and man's sight in the way in which it conducts its financial matters? So we begin this morning by looking at what kind of precautions need to be taken so that the church is blameless in God's sight and man's sight in the way it handles its financial matters. Paul in second Corinthians chapter 8 verse 24 says therefore openly before the churches show them the proof of your love and of our reason for boasting about you boasting at times is appropriate boasting at times is correct if it's ultimately to bring honor and glory to God and is to demonstrate the faithfulness of Of God's people. There are a couple of areas in the life of our church that I boast about to people, that I am proud of, that I am happy to be associated with, that uh, I think our church is exemplary. And one of those areas is in our use of finances, in our accountability in our transparency, in our openness, in the way in which we handle our financial matters. I greatly appreciate those individuals that have that responsibility in our church, and I'm going to say more about that in a few moments. But first, we look at this question. How is a church to take precautions so that the financial matters are Handled appropriately both in God's sight and man's sight. The church needs to take precautions in the kind of people that are entrusted with the responsibility of the church finances. Now there are many things that can be said today and I'm going to limit ourselves to the text. There are many pragmatic issues that are helpful to consider when it comes to how a church conducts its Finances. But let me just say to you, it is absolutely essential, absolutely essential that we concern ourselves with how a church governs its finances. You, as a congregant, ought to be very, very concerned about how the collection is handled and how it is employed. And this morning, the emphasis is that the greatest precaution that one can take in overseeing the financial responsibilities of the church is that we have fine people taking on that responsibility. There are three people in our text that are referred to that have responsibility in these financial matters. The first person is Titus. So, Titus serves as a model for the kind of person that ought to be entrusted with financial responsibility. Titus models certain characteristics. The first of which is that he is sincerely interested in the ministry of the church, not only its finances. Notice verse 16. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus. Titus had not only a concern for the finances of the church, he had a concern for the church itself. Not only did he have a concern for the church, but he had a concern for those individuals for whom this collection was being taken, namely the poor saints who were at Jerusalem. He was interested in the work. People who bear financial responsibility have to be people who are interested in in the overall well-being of the life of the church, of the congregants, and of the people that are going to be benefiting these finances. Secondly, Titus models a person who is willing to take on the responsibility. Verse 17. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he has gone to you of his own accord. So, Paul put out an appeal. He put out a request. He needed someone to take oversight of the collection that was being taken not only at the church at Corinth, but the Macedonian churches as well. The Macedonian churches had already given. They are going to swing by and pick up this gift that's going to come from the Corinthians church. And they're going to continue on and give it to the poor saints that are in Jerusalem. Somebody has to be in charge of that. Paul looked for an individual. That would be willing to take on that great responsibility. We find in this text that Titus volunteered. For that responsibility. When the appeal came. He responded. And he went of his own accord. He was not lassoed into it. He was not forced into it, but he saw it as an opportunity to minister. He saw it as an opportunity to serve the Lord. He saw it as a privilege and not just merely a duty. That's the kind of person that you want to have responsible for the finances of the church. Someone who does it with a willing heart, accepts it as a responsibility that's done unto the honor and glory of God. The second person that is mentioned in this text is unnamed but is very well known by the churches. Verse 18. And we have sent along with him the brother whose fame and the things of the gospel has spread throughout all the churches. This person has not only been Chosen by Paul, but chosen by the churches. Verse 19. Not only this, but he has also been appointed by the churches to travel with us in this gracious work. So here is an individual that is well known. He is a person that has a good standing in the life of the church. Someone who is respected. He's respected. And uh, he is respected for his spirituality, for fame in the things of the of the gospel. He's been appointed by the churches, and we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 16:3 that the Corinthians themselves are to appoint someone from their church as well to accompany this gift. 1 Corinthians 16:3. And when I arrive, whomever you may approve. I shall send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. So we see there are a number of people that are responsible for this gift. There's Titus. Then there's this individual that is well known in the church. Then we're going to see there's a third person that's chosen by the churches. And then we see that the Corinthian church is to choose someone from their own midst to accompany this gift as well. So there are a lot of checks and balances. There are a lot of people that are involved in this process. That means that they have to work well together. Verse 19. Not only this, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us in this gracious work which is being administered by us. So now we have a fourth person introduced, and that is the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul says that he is entrusted with the administration of this gift. The greatest responsibility falls on Paul's shoulders himself. In Galatians chapter 2 verse 10, we looked at two weeks ago, The other apostles said to Paul that he was to remember the poor. He said the very thing that I was eager to do. The other apostles charged Paul by saying one of your responsibilities is to be collecting for these poor saints in Jerusalem. And he shouldered that responsibility. However, Paul delegates that responsibility to Titus. To Titus. He is going to bear this gift on behalf of the Apostle Paul. Now, he's going to be along. He's going to be in the same trip. He's going to be present But he is not going to take direct oversight of these finances. And then we have another individual who is appointed by the church. Verse 19. So we see that there are many different individuals that are involved in the oversight of this gift. So let's try to make that practical and look at how we try to apply some of these issues in the life of our own church. First, it is the Board of Elders who have the general oversight and responsibility of all of the financial matters of our church. Not just the financial matters. They are not just a business group. They are not just a uh, governmental body when it comes to finances our elders have authority they have rule over all aspects of the life of our church so that encompasses the finances and a great deal more as well not only our finances but a great deal more as well if you look at second Corinthians 8:22. One of the characteristics of these individuals who are put in uh, charge of the finances are, and we have sent with them our brother, whom we have often tested and found diligent in many things. So there's this other individual who has been tested, he has been proven, he is faithful, he is reliable, and he is involved in many, many things. Our elders have many, many responsibilities. One of them is the oversight of the finances of our church. They have delegated much of that responsibility, even as the Apostle Paul delegated that responsibility to Titus and others. They have delegated much of that responsibility to the finance committee in our church. It's therefore very important that the finance committee be spiritual individuals who have respect, who have demonstrated integrity, have shown themselves faithful in a variety of ministries in the life of our church. And we have that kind of group of men overseeing our finances. The finance committee is comprised of Ellis and Barry Hostetter, both of whom are CPAs. And uh, Ellis is an elder. And Barry is a a deacon. We have Jack English. We have David Herb and Bruce Althouse, And they are our uh, finance committee. I do not count the collection. I do not deposit the monies. I do not sign the checks. I'm not authorized to sign the checks. I can't sign the checks. I I'm not on record with the bank. And further, I have no knowledge of what anyone contributes in our church. I have no knowledge whatsoever of anyone's giving pattern in the life of our church. And I would just say to you, that's unusual. I believe it should be commonplace. But, In reality, it's unusual. Far too many pastors involve themselves in finances in the church, which, in my estimation, is totally inappropriate. We shouldn't be signing checks. We shouldn't be counting monies. We shouldn't be aware of what people are giving. There is actually a book on fundraising... That encourages pastors to identify the 10 biggest contributors in the church and take them out to lunch and thank them for their contributions and encourage them to do more. I don't know who the 10 biggest contributors are, but I'm not taking you out to lunch. But I'm also not going to be calling you on the phone and encouraging you to give more either. It's inappropriate. So I have virtually nothing to do with the finances. I do have some input when it comes to the budget, but it's very limited. And this year, um, something happened. I was laid up and uh, couldn't attend the finance meeting where the budget was prepared, and they did very well without me. Because I have very little input. I just basically say, Yeah, that sounds that sounds good. All right. So, the Finance Committee. They count the money. The collection is counted by more than one individual. The collection is totaled before it's entrusted to anyone's care. It is then deposited. Of course, there are records of deposit. As I said, only a few individuals, those um, members of the Finance Committee are able to sign checks. Two signatures are required on every check so that one person cannot write out a check on behalf of the church. It requires two members of the Finance Committee to sign a check in or order for that check to be negotiable. The Finance Committee and the Board of Elders give a detailed and I can't emphasize enough the detailed report to the congregation of literally every penny that is collected and spent. You know, if you read over the 10 or 12 pages of our financial report, you know where every penny that has been collected in the life of our church has gone. Another area where many churches are silent on that just amazes me, and not our denomination, for our denomination requires complete disclosure, but there are a lot of congregations that don't even know what their pastor makes. You know what I make. You know what Pastor Heller makes. You know what Pastor Brandt makes. You know every penny that is being spent in the life of the church. Those Reports are then audited by an auditing committee that's not a, a formal audit but these are individuals in our church that look over uh, those uh, those matters uh, I'm afraid I'm going to forget somebody but it's Jeff Gaiman uh, it's, uh, it's uh, Fred Seleski it's uh, Bill Vixler, it's uh, Julia Muritz do I have everybody? I think so. Uh, they're the people that sit down and, and uh, they look over, comparing uh, the bills, receipts, etc., with the budget. So you can see that there is a lot of care that is given in the oversight of the monies in the life of our church. You cannot be too careful. You cannot take too many precautions. And there are a lot of other things that I could say this morning, but I'm not going to. I think that gives you a sense, uh, some sense of what's going on. One other thing I, w- I will say that is kind of unrelated, but I, but I think that you need to know. Since I stress the fact that I don't know what uh, anyone is giving in life of the church, it's possible for you to give in such a way that no one knows what you are giving. Uh, to the uh, to the church uh, that we use a envelope system that envelope has a number on it one of the members of the finance committee has a list of the numbers and the names of the people that correspond to those numbers so my number I don't even know what it is let's say it's 189 they know 189 is is Pastor Reed. Someone else is keeping track of what comes in in those envelopes. Someone else knows that 189 gave X amount of dollars. And so they put that together and they're able to receipt because one person knows what the number is. The other person knows what the amount is contributed and they're able to give a receipt without even knowing uh, who uh, gave how much. Now if you Give by check, obviously somebody is going to be counting that check and is be aware. But if you want to give anonymously, you can. It's possible. It's possible that no one would know what is uh, given the life of the church. But a member of the Finance Committee is not going to be taking you out to dinner either and uh, asking you to, to give more. But this morning I want to look at why must the church conduct its financial matters in a manner that is acceptable to both God and man. Why is it important? Two basic reasons. First, so that God would be glorified. Verse 19. And not only this, but He has also been appointed by the churches to travel with us in this gracious work which is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord Himself. For the glory of the Lord Himself. That Titus dedicated himself to handle these monies in such a way that God was going to be glorified. There is more that is intentioned by the collection for the poor saints that are in Jerusalem than simply the removing of their financial need or alleviating their financial need. That certainly is a large part of the goal. These are poor saints. They need help. But that's not the ultimate goal. That's not the final goal. That's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is that through these individuals receiving help, that God is going to be glorified. That God is going to be glorified. One of the ways in which God is glorified is that he would be praised. Verse 13 of chapter 9. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ. It will be seen in keeping with their profession of faith, in keeping with their Christian duty, their Christian responsibility, that God would be glorified, that God would be praised, that God would be thanked, that he would be seen as the ultimate source of this gift. God is the great giver. He's the great provider. God enables us to give. And as we give, as we are stewards of that which God entrusts to us, God is glorified because we recognize that that which is ultimately brought in is provided by his own hand. He enables us to give. Which is one reason I would encourage you to only ever give to relief works that are associated with the gospel of Christ. Not that secular organizations don't do good things. And I'm certainly not saying that secular organizations are defrauding, or that they are stealing, or that they are doing anything inappropriate. All I'm saying is that monies that are given to a secular organization don't result in bringing glory to God. There's a step missing. They help, and that's great, and they relieve, and that's good. And I'm thankful for the secular organizations. And I'm grateful for every person who is in need who has helped. All of that is praiseworthy. All I'm saying is, but it falls short of actually bringing honor and glory to God, which is the unique realm of the Christian organization that is out doing relief work and efforts in order to bring honor and glory to God. So we need to give in such a way that God is glorified. Another way that God is glorified is that He is thanked. That He is thanked. In 2 Corinthians 9:11, 11, You'll be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of the service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. It causes people to give thanks to God. One of the great goals in the life of our church is that in our business meetings uh, we want to express our appreciation. I want to express my appreciation to you this morning for your support of the life of our church. But at the same hand, I simply say that that's all of our Christian duty. We thank the Sunday school teachers for their teaching. We thank the individuals that, that mow the lawn. We Thank Jack Irvin for building this ramp. We want to acknowledge what people do. But ultimately we want to be thankful to God who places it in the hearts of those people, who enables those people, who gifts those people. And so we credit God with what is taking place. So we are thankful to God for the finances of the life of our church. We are thanking God that we are out of debt. We are thanking God that all of our bills are being paid. We are thanking God that everything is being done in an upright and appropriate manner. God is not thanked and God is not praised when monies are handled inappropriately. Which brings us to the second reason. Why we need to take precautions in the life of the church. That everything is done in a way that is honorable in both God's sight and man's sight. Notice 2 Corinthians 8.20 Taking precaution that no one should discredit us in the administration of this generous gift. King James That no one would blame us in the administration. NIV, that no one would criticize us in the way that we administer this generous or liberal gift. All of those are good translations. It's a very broad word. It's a word to blame. It's a word to find fault. It's a word to criticize. It's a word to cause to be skeptical, to raise the eyebrow. Paul wants to do everything that he can To make sure that no one is even going to raise a question about how these finances are handled. He's not just seeking to preclude fraud or preclude stealing or preclude something that would be inappropriate. No, it's much bigger than that. He doesn't even want it possible to even raise the question. To even create doubt in somebody's mind. So you see, we have to handle our finances in such a way that we guard not only God's reputation, but people's reputation as well. For notice in verse 20, avoiding this, that no man should blame Not God or discredit God, but us. That Paul's ministry would suffer if they are going to criticize the way that he handles money. One of the great religious statesmen of our era is uh, Dr. Billy Graham think most of you have heard of Billy Graham, right? Billy Graham. And one of the areas that set Billy Graham apart from other evangelists and and, uh, other workers very early on was the way in which he handled the finances. The way in which those monies that were contributed were not only expended, but also how they were accounted for. He was calling for an accountability long before, long before there was a national association of churches that, that uh, got together and talked about financial standards. Uh, he did, want, did not want it to impinge or impact the gospel of God. If there is a cloud over the finances, if there is any question, if there is any uncertainty, It doesn't stop there. It's soon going to move into questions then about the person's integrity, their sincerity. Are they in this for the money? Are they in this for what they can get out of it? Are they simply misusing people? Are they abusing people? Are they taking advantage of people? Are they fleecing people? Are they a charlatan? All those kinds of questions begin to arise when there is any doubt about how the finances in the church are being administrated. And Paul says, I want to be above criticism. I want to be above blame. I want to be above accusation. And the way that the Apostle Paul sought to do that was, he said, I'm taking my hands off. I'm not going to have anything to do with it. But you see, but somebody does. (laughs) And that's a huge responsibility. That's a huge responsibility. There's a lot of work that goes into counting all the monies, receiving all the gifts, doing all these things. These men spend their afternoons on Sundays working on on this stuff, and then throughout the week. I am just so thankful for the individuals that have responsibility for the finances and the life of their church. But you see, then their reputation needs to be safeguarded. That's why you have to have numbers. That's why it can't be just one person. That's why it has to be two and more. Not because you don't trust people. Not because any one of these individuals lack integrity. But you want to safeguard them. You want to preserve that integrity. You want to ensure that their reputation is going to be in good tact. You want to make it so that people just can't find fault with how the finances are being handled and in all humility because I have very little to do with it I just want you to know that you can have complete confidence in the way that the finances are being handled in our church because of the men that are entrusted with the responsibility for the oversight that the elders have given for the policies that are in place for the accounting that is done for the transparency that is manifested. uh, It is an area in which I am happy to boast about. So, in conclusion, it's important that we conduct our finances not just in a manner that is accountable to God, but in a manner that is accountable to man as well. Why? So that God is praised. That God is glorified. And that the work is not hindered. People's reputations are not called into question. And then of course, of course, that there be no defrauding, no stealing, no embezzlement, no inappropriateness, use of funds. We need to be precaution- take precautions. How do you do that? Two primary ways. One, by taking great care and concern over who is entrusted with this responsibility. People of integrity. People who have proven themselves. People who are willing to take on this work because it's long and it's hard. People who are spiritual, who have shown themselves committed not only to the finances, but to the spiritual life and well-being of the church. And then to set policies that safeguard the ways in which these monies are going to be used, handled, and uh, spain that was a brief overview i tried to be faithful to the text i tried to make it relevant if you want to talk to me more about finance i would be happy to give you more detailed respond there's so much more i can say about how these monies are being safeguarded but i want you to see that we're trying to act in accordance with this portion of scripture which drives home basically one important thought and that is we want to conduct our finances in a way that is open and transparent and is open in the eyes of God and open in the eyes of man. Let's pray. Our Father, we are thankful for your great goodness and your great provision for us. We thank you, Lord, for the way in which you uh, help us. And uh, we thank you for the giving in the life of our church. I pray that you would help us to be faithful. We thank you for those individuals that have responsibility and how they faithfully discharge that responsibility lord preserve us and keep us uh, for there is a great deal of temptation there is a lot of money that comes in and the uh, lord uh, may it always be spent and used in ways that are appropriate guard us and keep us and most importantly oh god glorify your name bring glory to yourself in the way in which these finances are handled and expended for it's in jesus name we pray amen